everybody on um, we, we're, we're still sort of borderline right we're not quite there yet with this heat it's 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 okay I'm, I'm gonna just pretend that the heat is coming for another week or so so we're on the cusp though and um, however I have some fun things for folks to do outside and 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 inside we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about music primarily and uh we're also going to talk about um a big event that we just had in new orleans the american alliance of museums was here with 5,000 people strong from all over the country probably off our borders as well to some extent, but it was mainly, of course, it's the American Alliance of Museums. And uh, Steve McClansky is going to um, give us a little bit of a rundown on uh, how that went. But I I went to one of the events at the Sculpture Garden in City Park, and that was, oh, uh, it really was pretty spectacular. It was just beautiful out there um, Monday night. And... um, Lots of people, lots of food, lots of things to drink, lots of sculpture. And the garden itself is beautiful. Have you been in it yet? I have been to the sculpture garden. And um, we we have a very charming woman with us right now who I am going to um, take up uh, immediately following um, our first guest. And she's going to be talking about the Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra, which everybody here forgets is owned and operated by the musicians. And and how many of how many symphonies in the country are owned and operated by musicians? Um, I'm not sure the exact number on how many um But I would imagine not too many. But it, it's not too many. We are one we are definitely the oldest. We are. Mm-hmm. So we kind of set the, set the model. Yes. All right, good. So we're going to talk about that in um, just a minute. Uh, do I have my first guest, Steve McClansky? Oh, great. Okay. I know Steve is um, out there. Uh, Steve, where, where, are you at the closing party for the American Association of Museums Alliance? I mean? Yes, um, yesterday, a lovely happening um, that uh, looks I'm having trouble hearing you. I, I wonder if you're in a bad zone. So I'm going to. Oh, that's. So no, the big party was last night. Oh, okay. You're, he's, he's de- you're definitely going in and out, Boo. I'm not sure what the problem is, but I'm wondering if maybe you need to move to a different location. Are you um, are you in a closet <laughs> or the men's room? <laughs> I'm not sure where you are. Well, here can you go. hear me? Uh, now I can, yeah. Okay. That's good. No, it's a big party last night. The conference has really been going on since, I mean, it started on Saturday, Sunday. but yeah. talking to a lot of people who who were at the conference, they came early. You know, they came Friday. They came to see New Orleans. New, New Orleans, I think, is perceived by many people, not just uh, in our industry, but everywhere. It, it's an artifact itself. It's something to see. Um there's such a um, sense of authenticity about New Orleans. It's such a unique place that um, certainly people in this field that, that want to understand meaning and significance and always are in search of unique cultural experiences, they flock to 
New Orleans when um, conventions like this happen. So, so, so Steve, uh, was, I would I would just take a little issue uh, uh, with your word artifact because um, I, I have a, um, a a phrase that I'm using a lot now that just kind of came to me recently, but. Um, I think of New, New Orleans as um, keeping the past alive in concert with the present, because we we don't we don't just we don't leave the past in the past. The past I, is, is well, very I, much a I, part of our present here. Yeah, I think we're on the same page, and and it does reflect changes in museum practice, and it's the kind of thing you would have heard at many of the sessions, right? Um, perhaps you're right. Artifact is not the exact word. In the old days, museums were just places filled with artifacts, and they presented themselves as sort of omniscient, didactic institutions where you could go and see old stuff. Um, New Orleans is not like that. The museums are not like that. Museums like the Louisiana State Museum system that I run are, are changing. And instead of being that omniscient didactic castle, they're much more interested in being open and engaging platforms. And we do seek ways to integrate the old and new. Um, that can express itself in many ways. At the Louisiana State Museum, we have programs where we're bringing in contemporary artists to help us interpret it, interpret old artifacts. I know my colleagues at um, Historic New Orleans Collection have done that with great success. So the going back to the conference, certainly an unspoken theme of uh, the AAM conference is just what you refer to, is how do you um, bring new methods of interpretation and engagement to audiences, even with... Um, um, antique um, material. You know, I have to say, I, I, I attended a couple of the sessions. Quite frankly, I chose these extremely uh, practical um, things about social media and fundraising, things like that. But um, in reading through the program, I did notice a huge em emphasis on engaging people who maybe have not made a habit of going to museums. So in other words, how do we reach out to new generations, um, new groups of people who who did not make going to a museum um, uh, a, a primary part of their lives? And I was very impressed with that. It, it, it really did seem as if they cared about uh, bringing in um, new folks, and, and they better because right. the old folks who are, uh, you know, were the supporters – uh, they be dying off. <laughs> right. I hate to say it, but that includes my generation. Again, I, I'm right with you on that. I mean, museums in the past, right, there's always been a sense of tension in some ways about museums as, as dealing in exclusivity, right? Because in theory, you're going to go to the museum because there's exclusive things in the museum. You can come only see such things um, in, in the grand palace that is the museum. And in the past, there were, I think, um, demographic connotations to that. And there was a feeling that, oh, it's uh, haughty toddy and, and that's not for me. Um, museums are changing. I think part of the change is clearly, you mentioned, you know, social media and just the Internet itself. There's such greater access to information now that museums realize that um, – 
their their audiences um, have access to this information, and fortunately, that access to information does um, reach um, all sorts of different people. Um, I would, I think it's true, and for we're also, I think museums are also we get better data now. We're looking at the numbers more and more than we used to. So museums have always been interested in serving these, what we call these underserved audiences. It's just now we have more tools um, enabled, that enable us to do a much better job of that. So um, let, let, let me go back for a second because I don't want to lose the strand of my original idea for talking with you. I really wanted to get your feedback on, on, on what feedback you heard from the people who were visiting here, you know, of all kinds, you know, just, you know, positive, negative, just whatever you heard from right. folks who visited here. What, what was the, what were the sort of the threads that you heard more than once? Okay. Um, let me say just before sort of launching into that, I, I want to give, um, you know, the, the credit where credit's due to the cultural community here in New Orleans who over the last year really worked hard at planning all this, and Susan Taylor and Stephen Watson of NOMA and World War II were, were in the lead on this, but it's also on the committee level. Lots of people worked really, really hard to put all this, to, uh, put this all together. Um, you know, I think, I don't know that there is anything, I mean, what pe- the, the response, to answer your question, um, the response to New Orleans itself is overwhelmingly positive. The response, I think people are also surprised to see just the wealth of cultural institutions that we have here. You know, I think everyone's listening in New Orleans, right? We're all curators of visitor experience. When, when we have friends who come into town, we, we don't want them to just walk down Bourbon Street. We, we make sure that they're, they're going to, um, places outside of the French Quarter, that they're going to visit our fr- favorite restaurants, that they know to visit um, some of the smaller uh, cultural institutions. So I, that, the overall response that I got was just that you know, people just love being here. I, I know that the numbers were really good. I think they approached maybe 4,500 people um, at the conference, which was much more than was expected. And so so it was really a big hit. What what um, did they single out? What what were some of their favorite things? I, I went to the opening of the sculpture garden, which I was just mentioning, and that was a beautiful night. The garden is beautiful, of course, and and uh, I, I thought I, I I it felt like people were really enjoying it. Uh, yeah, the termites were enjoying it too, of course. <laughs> Listen, I mean, my, I don't know. My response, I think, would 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 uh, just by definition be anecdotal. You know, just a hundred or so people that I interacted with. And, um, of course, I'm going to tell you that they had a great time at the Cabildo and at the New Orleans Jazz Museum, which are two of the properties that Louisiana State Museum runs. Um, so I don't think they picked out one. I think people, wherever people went, they, they had a great time, and they really just came away with a reinvigorated sense of, of New Orleans and, and everything that New Orleans has to offer. And maybe that's something that we New Orleanians sometimes take for granted, um, but it is such a culturally rich city. And, uh, Gene, you know, I grew up in New York City, um, and so I'm often asked to compare the two. What New Orleans has just about more than any other city 
is cultural accessibility. Um, obviously, New York and other places have great museums, but um, and and great art and, and and culture. But in New Orleans, just that accessibility—the fact that you can go to so many museums, the fact that you and I could decide at ten o'clock tonight that we want to go see music, and we'd have more than a dozen clubs that we could show up to ten minutes later. The fact that there's such great food, the fact that we just had another extraordinary. Um, jazz fest, or that we all, you know, were swimming in the bayou for the Bayou Boogaloo the other, or was that last weekend? Did you go skinny there's, dipping in the bayou during the Bayou Boogaloo? Yeah, I mean, there's just it's so boogaloo much in the bayou. Here, and it's, it's so available, and so let's just keep drinking it up and let's celebrate these opportunities that we have when, when people and cultural leaders from all over the country, all over the world, come and see it for themselves. So it was a great, great weekend for New Orleans. Sounds fabulous. Now, um, I, I can't resist. I know I'm supposed to get off with you in just a couple seconds. So let me just ask you what's coming up at the Louisiana State Museums in the near future that we should know about. Well, we have a, a really interesting exhibition opening on June 6th in the Presbyteries called Grand Illusions, which celebrates um, – the history of gay carnival here in New Orleans. So, you know, that's a, a, a specific realm of Mardi Gras of the carnival season that um, that hasn't been fully explored on a museum level. And there's just so much. You know, in the last two years, there's been a big transformation of the museum. I know maybe some of the listeners, they remember like the old show in the Cabildo that was up for a while. It was a great show on Louisiana history. But since then, we've changed that museum out twice already. There was a big show last year on Spain and the colonial presence here in New Orleans called Recovered Memories. That's when the King of Spain came in. But when you go to the Cabildo now, you'll see a show on um, We Love You, New Orleans. It's just a nostalgic show about some old memories in the city. You'll see that show on the Baroness Pontalba, who helped design Jackson Square. Fascinating exhibition on the third floor. By um, curated along with Richard Campanella called Mapping the Crescent that has a giant digital projection map that shows the the geographic, the geological, the demographic changes in New Orleans. Um, and then at the New Orleans Jazz Museum, we have a great new show on Louis Prima, another show on the history of jazz fest. So we're just much more active, much more changing shows than there used to be. And uh, we have nine uh, properties throughout the state. We're, we're excited for a little bit later in June at the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame in Natchitoches. Um, this guy named Peyton Manning, oh, I think yeah, he's yeah. going to get in. I think uh, <laughs> I think he has a pretty good shot at it. So we'll be right. celebrating his induction into Louisiana Sports uh, Hall of Fame. The, the system itself is doing great. We appreciate everybody's support. We're part of the Department of Cultural Recreation and Tourism. I got to say, uh, Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser is just very, very supportive of, of everything that we're doing. Um, so, so things are well. You're, you're getting all your, uh, all your, uh, all your um, uh, perks in there for everybody. Good, good, good <laughs> well, job, good job, Steve. Well, look, um, I look forward to. Uh, I want to check in on some of the things that you just described. I'm particularly curious about. Pantalba, Baroness Pantalba. I had an office for a while in the Pantalba, overlooking the um, the Petite Theater, and I loved it there. I absolutely loved it. 
And I right. uh, wish I didn't have to give it up, but when they did the renovation, um, that's when I had to get out. Yeah, and, people should come and see that show. People should learn more about uh, Pontalba and her daddy, Almanaster, Don Almanaster, who's the first great sort of real estate speculator and philanthropist in New Orleans who rebuilds the Cabildo and the Presbyter and the cathedral after the fire of 1788. That's uh, the Baroness Pontalba's daddy, so you learn about him too. You know, speaking of the fire, I can't quite let you off the air without um, telling you how much uh, when the... um the uh, church in in Paris was burning. Yeah, uh, it reminded me so much of of when our um, cupola, would you call it? Uh, yeah, uh, was burning here, and and everybody was really kind of panicky about what was going to happen with that. And we we pulled out. We didn't have uh, too terrible damage, but it, it it's pretty scary. And it's instructive, right? You're referring to the Cabildo fire in um, 1988, and we it was rebuilt with great care. And when you go upstairs, you'll see the renovation that was done. Um, behind the scenes, it's, it's good to know that the, the cypress beams were um, specially harvested in Florida, and then they were air-dried in, in special uh, warehouses in Louisiana, and then vintage um, tools or techniques were used to really reproduce the original building. I'm sure that um, such a, um, a grand and um, um, important effort will take place in Notre Dame, and, and it will be rebuilt. Stephen, thank you so much Jean, for thank calling you so in. Much. I don't know for sure where you're calling from, but I, I know that you're somewhere and I um, <laughs> out there not uh, just uh, uh, sitting uh, uh, in, in your living room. So thank you. No, for I'm not. Some time I'm actually in the Presbyter right now, and um, we're we're planning new and great and engaging exhibitions and experiences for for all you listeners out there. So come visit us. Thanks again. Thank you for all you do. Now, just to remind everybody, um, Stephen's museums that he was just talking about are right there on Jackson Square. So all you have to do to go there is pull up and park up on the levee, walk across the street, um, is that Chapitulis, I guess, and, and, and walk through Jackson Square, and you are in those museums. And they really are beautiful. They are not stuffy. They are not boring. And the, one of the things that I always enjoy the most about them is the portraits mm-hmm. of people who um, are part of the history of the city. And when you see those portraits, you're going to see your friends, your family, um, you're going to see uh, people who look just like their descendants that you are living with today. So, again, um, the past is present in in our um, uh, our lives here as, as nowhere else. Um, so now we're going to talk, and I, I, I need to be told how to pronounce your last name, with Leah Obi. Yes. I got it right. <laughs> Yay. Um, who, she is the new um, director of, Audience communications and audience development. Yes. Let's let's leave it at that. For the um, Louisiana Philharmonic Orchestra, which I just found out as we began the show, was the first um, Philharmonic Orchestra of a major American city, let's say, that is owned by the musicians themselves. Yes. And I just love that. There's just something about that. I'm sure it makes it a struggle and harder in some ways. 
but it also means that the people who are making decisions about what the orchestra are going to, is going to do are the musicians themselves. Correct. I, I, I love that, but I wonder what that means. What is the result of that? And then we're going to talk about LPO's new offices on Bayou Road, that hopping, buzzing new cultural corridor that has started <laughs> last week, and I had some things folks on talking about it, and then we're following up this week. Um, well, definitely by the musicians running the, um, the organization, it makes it much more robust um, and solidifies our place as being an integral part of the educational and musical life here in New Orleans. Um, no better people to run the organization than the musicians who are right there in the seats and they know you know, the history of the city, you know, they are familiar with the culture, and they also have strong connections and ties to the culture as well. So it makes for great presentations and programming, mm -hmm. um, you know, and lots of um, committed commitment and loyalty to the organization, to keeping it alive here in New Orleans. Right. Um, so I was really thrilled um, when you guys moved on to Bayou Road. I mean, um, I told the story last week about how when I first came here and I moved, I live just a block away. I live on Esplanade. I live right next to Free People of Color Museum and um, mm. Musée de uh, F FPC. Um, yeah. And um, I, I loved always going to Bayou Road, but when I first came here, Literally, there was a shoemaker, wow. <laughs> and there was a shoemaker, and there just wasn't much other life on that street. Um, there might have been another store that I'm not remembering. Um, I, I particularly want to say that there was a uh, the restaurant on the corner where I think the bookies used to hang out. That was there. <laughs> but other than that, it was it was a pretty sleepy, quiet little street. Now it has exploded. And when I came down the street coming out of Jazz Fest on the last Sunday, that was the only day I went there, I, 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 my, I, my jaw dropped with the amount yeah. of activity. And it's not just a business district. It really is a community. Right. And everybody uh, who's there is a community. So what was it like for you all? You, you've come into the Rose Collaborative. That's the church property, the old mm -hmm. St. Rose of Lima uh, church property and schools, and um, you're a part of that complex, which you're a part of Bayou Road. So what's it like to be on Bayou Road? It's great. Um, the, the the quarter that we're on is so vibrant and has so much history and culture on it. It is great to be amongst that and kind of serve the people within our community and be, you know, boots on the ground there with them. Um, in, in other terms, it's great to be with biz, small business owners and actually supporting the people of the city um, and then helping that to come back and develop that um, and it's such a robust area um, it's again so very vibrant and specifically as it relates to arts and culture um, you have the Musée de FPC you've got um, Southern Rep Theater right there on Bayou Road um, you have us in the Rose Collaborative um, right down the street Joan Mitchell Center yes yeah, so mm -hmm. it's it's really really great um, and lots of food yes <laughs> lots of good what, food. three restaurants You've got um, uh, oysters on the half shell. Yes, Cocoa Hut. Cocoa um, Hut and um, whiskey, whiskey and, and sticks. sticks. Yes. Are we missing any? Oh, and the, the – the, There's a Pagoda Coffee shop right there on the corner. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, I call it the redoubt for the uh, hipster community in the <laughs> area. And, um, but also um, 
the buffet. Yeah. Right on the corner. Yes. So so you don't have to go far. No. To find something to eat. And uh, Community Book Center, of course, has been there forever. Yes. I mean, Vera is just, um, again, she's kind of the matriarch of the street. Of the street. You know, it's, it's, it's Vera who made sure that they kept the bricks. Really? Because there was a point after the storm when they were looking to do some revival of the street. Um, and they were going to take the bricks out. And she said, no, uh-uh, <laughs> no, we're keeping the bricks. So um, it's, it's a challenge sometimes because you have to kind of keep restoring it. But so what does it mean for LPO to be on in By Road? How does that affect what you do? Um, so it just makes it even stronger. Um, we are very focused on being a community-driven organization that is here and makes that accessible and that art form accessible to everybody within the community. So it means that we have direct access to that. So we can offer our programs and let people know that we are here and that we are definitely willing to be available for them. Um, it also helps, you know, as we're in an arts cult and cultural community um, with Southern Rep being right there on Bayou Road as well, that we can collaborate and part lots of partnerships, lots of collaboration and informing a new you know, history for this for the quarter. So, so how do you see this developing in terms of presentation? I mean, is is there a, do you see something in the future that will be literally a um, a presentation collaboration? Um, well, we definitely are incorporating, um, you know, more diversity into our works, as well as, um, again, being very community focused. So we want the people that are within the community to have access to what we do, and we want them to feel like the LPO is their Louisiana's their orchestra because it is um, and so our musicians help with that our staff helps with that our board helps with that as well so we're all just trying to make a new home for ourselves here and be open and accessible so that everyone can receive the educational resources that we offer um, the performances and then really to reinvigorate that love for classical music. So um, uh, do you foresee some performances actually right in the area? Yes. Yeah, so Tell me about that. I'd, I'd love to see the orchestra play in um, Bayou Road. So we have to have spoken about it with Southern Rep Theater about bringing um, our orchestra there to perform. Um, we've also had some smaller, some quintets, um, some um, chamber music um, being offered there at Southern Rep and um, also just making it more accessible for those within, you know, to come to our concerts. Um, you know, earlier this year, we were able to offer free entry for those who are affected by the government shutdown as well. So um, we're just looking to offer more access and availability and be there as a resource to the community. Can you imagine shutting down by road, let's say abroad, and maybe at, say, I don't know, Dorjanois, or maybe even Rochablave, and literally having the orchestra <laughs> out in the street playing? Has, has anybody, like... Well, there's lots of ideas floating around. I mean, we definitely, because we have the space and because we are able to come in and because we've been received so well, um, we're we're happy and definitely our creative juices are flowing as to how we can better, um, you know, provide those services. You for could them. actually do it right there on that plaza around the church. Is is there enough room for the orchestra on that on the plaza between say you know community book center and the church and the church there is enough room um we would just need the production to do, to do it but yes there's enough room oh, yeah, the audio are, is a, yeah. would be a, a a substantial cost probably yeah so we need somebody to endow 
that performance. Yes, by definitely Euro support to, to cover the cost of the audio. Definitely support so that, your, that could happen. Support Wouldn't that be? I just, I would, I just, I have a vision of it. Yes, I can just see it. <laughs> Now, the other thing that I've always felt I, I wanted to hear more of from the orchestra. So, forgive me for pushing a little further on this, but um, original music by young um, composers. Not necessarily young. It doesn't have to be young, but just maybe composers who are doing contemporary original work, which is, I know, a little harder sell than the classics that everybody wants to hear that your older audience is used to going to hear. But um, one of the performances here that there were two performances that I really loved that the opera did. One was by a woman composer, and please don't ask me the, her name because I'm not going to remember, but it was spectacular. And then more recently, there was a beautiful opera that um, Terence Blanchard uh, wrote the score for, and, and that was, I think, one of the best operas I've ever seen. I just loved it so much, and it was so, um, you know, really oriented. The story was about a um, fighter Who, do you know the story? Champion. Did you go see it? I did not get a chance to go see oh it. Oh, my I God. I'm so sorry you missed yes. it. It was really beautiful. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing I, I just would love to see the LPO do. So do we have any of that coming down the pike? Um, we do have um, a concert coming up in September um, that is going to feature a principal guest conductor, Thomas Wilkins. Um, and that's going to be a special performance featuring um, Dvorak Symphony Number no. 9, New World. It's going to have um, works by Florence Price, her piano concerto number no. one, and then some newer works by um, James Lee, who is Morgan State University um, professor. He composed Suko Through Orion's Nebula. So that's going to be a pretty, it's, it's more, it's a newer work, um, contemporary, and it's going to be great. We're looking forward to it, um, to be able to offer that um, in September. So what One of the reasons I've, I've got this kind of um, Jones for the idea of the orchestra out in the street is, is, is remembering my childhood. And I grew up with um, early rock and roll, right? So we're talking, um, you know, Shirley and Lee and, and early um, Aaron Neville and, and uh, um, Al Hurt and, you know, a lot of New Orleans music, actually, that I heard in New York that I grew up with. And that's all I was hearing. And then um, a boyfriend introduced me to classic music. Um, and I think some of the first stuff was kind of the Easter oral um, oratories and uh, like, the, you know, is it the passion? I'm so Passion, Bob. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, that stuff just blew me away and it totally transformed my interest in music. It just opened up, took the barriers down, opened up a whole new world to me. And so that's why I think the it, it, if, if, if a young person hears um, a dramatic symphony performance, they're, they're going to be changed forever by that experience. So the idea of it being, you know, out where they're going to stumble on it in a sense mm -hmm. and, not, and not have to go into a theater or into, do you still play primarily at the Orpheum? Is, yes, we uh -huh. do. Our, Which is a beautiful theater, nothing against it. Yeah. But um, it, it certainly uh, is, is um, uh, it's a place you have to kind of be committed and already knowledgeable to go to. 
But if you had it out in the street, <laughs> yeah, around definitely the church, provides more accessibility, which is what we're all about. I mean, and you're having a block party coming. We are. Up. So we tell are. me about the block party. So we're having a free, fun-filled community event um, on June the eighth. That's a Saturday, and it's going to be over at um, Southern Rep Theaters. Uh, they're in the beautifully renovated um, church. Church there on Bayou Road, um, and we're going to offer free um, games. It's going to be uh, as part of their second Saturday's um, programming. We're going to offer a theatrical. They're going to offer a theatrical story time that's going to be sound education focused. Um, and then along with that, we're going to the, along with the story time performance, we're going to include an arts and crafts activity to kind of make your own instruments. And then after this, we're going to have in the adjoining parking lot right there is going to be where the games. Um, we're going to have um, children-focused activities so you can bring your whole family. Um, we're going to have vendors there, and we're going to have a sort of an organizational outreach fair right there in the parking lot. Um, so it's going to feature com several of our community partners, Southern Rep, of course, Fruit Orleans, Kids Smart, um, Material Life NOLA, the Community Book Center, um, McCarty's Chicken and Fixin', um, Project Gumbo, Uber. McCarty's, and the, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the Waldorf School. So we're going to have lots of um, free information. And really what the point of this all is is to just show how much intrinsic value that we hold to the community right here um, and, that, and to offer, like I said again, that access and to supply that for the community um, because part of our mission is to empower people through music. Um, and so we know that lots of our surrounding partners have um, similar goals and missions is to kind of provide that for the community. So we're going to have an, a fun-filled, free, arts-filled afternoon that's going to feature several different resources. Starts at what time? It starts at 2 o'clock. 2 until? And it'll last at 5. So for five. Five. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but I just want to say, um, on the air, I just want to say, if anybody knows where um, Jenna, I mean, if anybody's listening who knows where um, Jenna Sherry, the violinist from Birdfoot Festival, who's supposed to be coming on, happens to be, I hope she's not lost or she hasn't been able <laughs> to get into the building or whatever, but the, f the phone number Jenna can call in if she can't quite make it into the studio is 265-926-260-9265. So I'm not sure what happened to her, but Birdfoot Festival is coming up also, which is a chamber music festival. So we're all about music today. So I just wanted to get that in because I think maybe she's somewhere about. and we can, Oh, no. I, want, I know. I don't know what happened to her. And I didn't get any calls earlier today, so... Um, I'm, I'm just not sure. But um, I want to come back to one thing that you mentioned about what's going to be happening with your block party on the 8th, and that is making musical instruments. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. So it's going to be a fun um, arts and crafts activity for the kids. They're going to be able to make their own musical instruments out, out, of, what? out yeah. of everyday items, so cups, using cups beans, um, percussion, we'll use balloons to make sort of a drum. Squeaky. So uh -huh. it'll be uh -huh. lots of fun, interactive play. Um, like I said, great music. There'll be raffles and lots and lots more. What do you get for the raffles? Um, we are, the LPO is raffling off a bronze subscription um, for one lucky person, and that will grant them access to five 
concerts of our next oh, season of their choosing. Yeah. And um, we're really excited about our new season. Um, we just. Yeah. Tell me about the new season. I want to hear about that, too. And, and let me just ask you, um, what's a highlight of the new season that maybe we could get jazz to uh, put his hands on uh, online and see if we could play just a little bit of it. Just so people have a better uh, um, clue of what we're talking about. Well, um, in celebrating our new season, it is we're also celebrating, and it's titled Music of the Americas. So we're celebrating musical compo- and composers from both sides of the Americas, so North and South America. Um, and we're also highlighting the anniversary of one of music's greatest composers, Beethoven. Um, okay, so um, let's do Beethoven's ninth. Um, can you see if you could put your hands on that jazz? Is that possible? Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And where could I uh, go into the symphony where we get that last part where it gets really dramatic? I wonder. I don't know how far you have to go in to get that. Um, but it's it's in the last movement, that's for sure, of of that symphony. Beethoven. Oh my God. Yeah, that was one of the, that mm-hmm. was one of the things that got me excited as a. I mean, we're talking not preteen, but pretty young, like maybe yeah. 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there is the first time I heard um, that kind of music. And, whoa, yeah. it, it really, <laughs> as they say, it just, just literally changed uh, changed my whole understanding of what the, I used. My, my father was a music-oriented guy, and he loved Louis Armstrong, Hot Five, the old stuff, mm-hmm. on a Saturday morning when this teenager wanted to sleep until noon. <laughs> He would he would jack up the uh, Louis Armstrong um, music, and he also loved the musical. So South Pacific, mm-hmm. oh my God, I could sing along every song in South Pacific. But then uh, when I got captured by the classical music, um, as I said, it was a whole different uh, universe for me. You almost got something up there.
That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I can hear the roots of rap in that music. Because mm-hmm. I can hear, you know, this explosive statement, and then it's followed by another level altogether, and then an interaction. I once um, ran into a – do you know who Philip Glass is, the uh, composer? Okay, so he's a very contemporary American composer whose music is actually related to the music of a of a guy named Dickie Landry from South Louisiana who influenced him. And his music is very, it's, it's repetitive. It goes da 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 And again, it's, it's, it's vocal. It's a lot of, it's just uh, repeating words over and over. And I, and I saw him on a plane one day and I said, Philip Glass, do you hear the, the relationship between your music and rap? And he looked at me like I was totally crazy, but I hear it. And I heard it just now in that. But how exciting is that stuff? I mean, that... It's great. It's definitely the roots of all. It's, it's got, you're absolutely right. It's, it's the base and the foundation of all of the music that we listen to. So um, it's definitely got ties everywhere and something for everyone to enjoy. Um, and we're hoping that this next season will kind of bring people um, to have a newfound love for our classical music. Um, and if you... Are, if you enjoyed this past season, then you will love the next season. It's got lots of great, diverse works, as well as some old traditional works. So it's, it's although it's steeped in tradition, um, it, we are bringing a lot of innovation to it. And, and if you'd like to experience that, you should definitely subscribe for next season. So, um, so let's talk about some so – that's a big move. I think let's get people into the theater for a single performance first. You know, Jess, would you mind – there's one other thing I want to play. I was just talking about this guy, Philip Glass. See if you can um, put your hands on something by him because, again, the amazing thing about Beethoven and Bach and all those guys is that their music has lasted for like two centuries, mm-hmm. three centuries. It just That's how powerful it is that we just keep listening to it even in this contemporary age. Philip Glass, I don't think, started making the kind of music that he does until like the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. So... You have to hear somehow the influence of popular music. And again, that's another thing that people don't realize is that these guys who write these symphonies, and, and I said, not just guys, but women who write um, classical, what's called classical music is not necessarily old. It just means that it's big. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, a lot of it is, is um, really um, influenced by popular uh, music. So you take a guy like Bartok is somebody who his music all refers back to folk music from Hungary and so on and so on. Got something for us? Kind of get the idea of that sort of um, continuously circulating. Later on in the music, maybe if you could find um, some of the parts um, jazz where the people are singing, and um, you, you get a, a totally different feel for it too. But 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, again, when you listen to rap, a lot of it is, mm-hmm. and not just rap, but bounce, all the contemporary forms of popular music, there's a re- repetition element to what is done, including one of my new favorites. What is it? Down the old country road? Is that, yeah. <laughs> is that the name of it? Yeah. That just kills me. I didn't know anything uh, about Billy it. That's Billy Ray Cyrus's. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, but who was the composer of it? The rapper from oh, Atlanta? Oh, gosh. I'm not even sure, but. Jazz, who's the rapper from He's Atlanta the... who wrote um, Down the Old Country Road? Oh my God! It's it's he's famous. He's very famous. Um, anyway, he did this kind of play <laughs> on country music. Oh my God! I wish you he could did. find that um, jazz. I'd love to play that for just a minute too. It's that very be, catchy and wildly so popular funny. right now. It's yes. very. It's it's just um, yeah. And, and that starts out uh, literally. It's a rap song, but then um, and it was on the charts on country charts, right? Mm-hmm. And so and then and then Billboard got saying, "Excuse me, this is not country." Right, so they take yeah. it off the charts. This is what made it controversial. And then Billy Ray, is that his name? Billy Ray. Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus says, "Excuse me, what's not country about that?" And then it's he Lil covers Nas. it. Huh? Lil Nas. Little Nas. Eh. That's what I'm saying. I knew it was somebody who was well known. And then um, he he does this cover with a real country uh, element to it, and. Um, puts a lie to Gil- Billboard trying to keep it off the country charts. The next thing you know, of course, it's number one on all charts. Yeah. So I just I love that whole Old story. Old Town Road. Yeah. Is, what is it, the exact name? Old Town Road. Old Town Road. Any chance we can catch that up? Yeah, we're going to get it in just a second. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a trip to put together I've, – I've done this kind of thing in the past – I'm getting all wound up here because I uh, really, when I start talking about music, but um, I, I did a series called The Dew Drop In. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a re- revival of the idea of late night jams at the Contemporary Arts Center when we first opened. Mm-hmm. And I would put together really weird things. So I put together drummers from jazz with chamber music and all kinds of mixtures like that. And that just fascinates me. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we could put together some of our rappers with your orchestra or your chamber orchestra? Yes. Surely you guys have thought about that, it, right? We have, and, and, and that definitely would be very – that would be phenomenal because um, definitely trying to bridge the gap for the for the younger generation and, and like you said, get them through the doors. Um, and how you would do that is get them interested in the music that they listen to currently. Um, and just like you said with a song like Old Town Road, you know, so older and something that's not normally infused with rap and country but country music, you know, and um, it's, again, wildly popular, very catchy. I must sound kind of corny for just having caught on to this. This is the rap version, right? Yeah, I'm going to take my horse to the old town road. I'm going to ride till I can't no more. I'm going to take my horse to the old town road. I'm going to ride till I can't no more. I got the horses in the back, horse stock is attached, head is mad at black, got the boosters black to match, riding on a horse, ha, you can whip your Porsche, I've been in the valley, you ain't been up off that porch, now, can't nobody tell me Tractor, lean all in my blood. Cheated on my 
I read a whole story about it, and I, I really got fascinated. Of course, went to YouTube, turned it on, and said, oh, my God, this is wild. But where I don't know how he came to do something with such a country story to it. Did you hear on that? I, I don't know what um, inspired him to do it, but I definitely think that um, if you're a lover of music at its core, you will find something that you can affinate with. And yeah. obviously country music is something that he affinates with. Um, and so it, it presents itself in I his know. music. I mean, I've never form. been a big country music fan. To say the truth. <laughs> My mother's family were all kind of country music people in, the, like in the country, country in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. But um, there are certain uh, people, especially the old time mm-hmm. folks that, that I really appreciate. But um, I, I, this is just one of those phenomena. This is a cultural yes. phenomena. But to, to see something like that happen between our symphony orchestra and our rappers here in New Orleans? Yeah, we definitely have. It, it's on the table, um, and you'll have to stay tuned to see what we have in the pipeline coming. Um, we definitely have thought, given some She's great She's not giving us secrets away here. <laughs> She's not giving it Come up. to see our new season, um, and there will be some surprises along the way. Um, innovative, but yet still steeped in tradition. Got us the uh, Billy, what is his name again? Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus. I don't know the names of the country people at all. But I love him for doing it. Yeah. Can't get it? Okay. Well, um, he's going to keep trying to find it. Um, okay, well, so that's one thing, uh, is the idea of working in with the rap uh, uh, element. Um, but then there's the brass bands in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and that is a whole other um, genre. Um, mm-hmm. God, it's, it's a funny word to use for a genre because it's so much from our culture, from the streets, from our homes, from our porches. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear it every single weekend because I have um, – the uh, Degas house, a couple doors down, okay. has a lot of weddings, and they always have a jazz band. That's the part of the evening where the jazz band walks down the street. I enjoy some of the rest of it. Uh, not so happy about listening to <laughs> music all night. But, um, yeah, that's um, – what about that? What about working with the brass bands? Oh, definitely. Have you been thinking about um, that too? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we have – you know, those instruments are, uh, we have those people in our orchestra, so definitely for sure. Um, and by wait, us- wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that there are some musicians that play in the orchestra who also play in brass bands? Um, there are some musicians in our orchestra that play all throughout the city, um, and they're in several groups, um, you know, from chamber music on up. Um, and so that's, we're, we're, we, are so within the community and connected to the community, and we want that to show by the events and the performances that we put on. Um, and we want everyone to feel welcome, like it's their orchestra, because it definitely is. Um, and, you know, like I said, 
coming from such a diverse community already with a 200 year history of this right. music, you know, yeah. in or orchestral music oh, and the com okay. you know yeah. in the community that that's a huge deal and something that we definitely want to be at the forefront to continue. You know, I'd like you actually um, you can maybe inform me. I, I certainly know that there was an early beginning for opera here in New Orleans. Um, uh, if I'm not, I I don't know which came first, New York or New Orleans. It's probably New York, but I know that New Orleans was one of the first cities to have a full opera season every year, every fall. Mm. And uh, and and when, when did uh, orchestral music uh, start in relation to the opera? Was it about the same time later? It was, how, it was, how did that go? It was definitely around the same time. Like I said, there's a 200-year history of orchestral music here in New Orleans, and some of the biggest classical music has come from New Orleans. Um, Louis Prima, you know, works by him, and other, you know, widely known artists. So... We, we have a deeply personal investment into the community and into New Orleans in general because of it. And actually, you reminded me that um, the very first Jazz Fest, um, uh, which just celebrated its 50th anniversary, um, had Dizzy Gillespie. Mm -hmm. which is a, a big sound, I mean, a very big sound, and, and it's basically orchestral music as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm so excited, I can't hide it, that you are um, doing all this <laughs> right there on Bayou Road. And um, so, but let me go back and let's make sure we have the details on the um, your uh, upcoming... Um, the block party. Block party, which is on the 8th? Yes. Okay. Saturday, June 8th. It's going to be free, fun-filled, and community-focused, and we're going to celebrate um, us being here as part of the Rose Collaborative for almost a year, um, celebrate the edu educational yeah. resources that we provide to the local surrounding communities and our intrinsic value here. So um, we definitely want everyone to come out. There's going to be something for everyone, and we can't wait to see you. Well, I am thrilled to meet you. And, Thanks, um, you as well. I, 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 the first thing I said when she walked in, I said, <laughs> I think you have some Native American blood, and we're going to have to pursue this. You're going to have to do your DNA. I had to do my Ancestry.com. <laughs> yeah, Ancestry.com or, uh, or what's the other one, uh, 23andMe, 23andMe, yeah. I think it is. It's something to do with the genetic whatever. Okay, so... Um, this has been fun. I yes. always enjoy talking about music, and uh, we managed to get through the show without <laughs> the third <laughs> guest who was supposed to be on. And um, Jazz has put his hands on Billy Ray Cyrus, and we're going to go out with that. This is Gene Nathan, Crosstown Conversations. Talk with you next week. Like a rock star, spend a lot of money on my brand new guitar. Baby's got a habit, diamond rings and Fendi sports bras. Riding down Rodeo in my Maserati sports car. Got no stress, I've been through all that. I'm like a Marlboro man, so I keep going back. Wish I could roll on back to that old.